still kind of have a cough that comes out of nowhere, so I apologize for coughing in your ear if I do here in a second. In 1976, uh, 40% of, of mothers, 40 to 45, so at the very end of their fertility, had four or more children. 40% had four or more children. 25% had three children. 24% had two children. And 11% of mothers had only one child. So 40 had four, 25 had three, 24 had two, 11 only had one. Now fast forward to 2014, which was the best data I could find. Things have kind of flipped. 14% of mothers have four or more children. So a lot of you guys are in that higher part of the percentile in this church. 24% of mothers have three children. So that stayed about the same. 41% of mothers have two children. And 22% of mothers have a single child. So we've gone from the, the norm of having kind of four children. That was the norm in the 60s and 70s. And then moving through the 80s up to now, um, we're seeing more and more families have two, only two kids or, or maybe even one. Um, there's something also called voluntarily, voluntary childlessness. So this isn't an issue of being infertile. You just choose not to have children. And... Uh, the stats are kind of all over the place because it seems to change real quick. But um, anywhere from about 10 to 20 percent of, of women right now are, are purposely childless. So they don't want to have any kids. A brand new study that I look forward to digging into from the CDC says the number of births in the U.S. dropped by 2 percent between 2016 and 2017 to 60.2 births per 1,000 women ages 15 to 44. So only 60.2 for every 1,000 women that are in the normal range of being able to have children. Um, it's continuing a general downturn that started with the, the Great Recession of 2008. It's the lowest the fertility rate has been in 30 years in our country. So we're having less kids than ever before. In our, and that's that is a trend that also you see over in Europe, and, and we're following it. There's a French woman that wrote a book that's really popular with some people called No Kids, 40 Reasons for Having No Children. And uh, her name's Corinne Mayer. And I read this article, and uh, she went out with her husband, and she has two kids. One's only 13 when she wrote this book, so they haven't left the house. And she's writing this book. And there's just, they have a nasty time out at a museum or something. And that's, that's every time at museums, in my opinion. But, um, but this one was particularly bad for them. I'm just joking. I like museums. Okay. Um, especially if they have dinosaurs. Um, but after that, she said, I really regret it. I regret having children. And she was inspired to write this book. So she wrote 40 Reasons. And each one's like a short chapter. I, I, here's a few of them for you. Childbirth is torture. To open a nursery is to close the bedroom. You will inevitably be disappointed by your child. You're only 13. What do you know? Give the kid a break. And yes. 
All 13-year-olds are pretty disappointing, but they move through that. I was a junior high youth pastor for a while. It's rough. Um, they block your professional path with children. To be a mother <clears throat> or to secede, you must choose. Being a mother is not success. Right? Only career path is. Why contribute to a future of unemployment and social exclusion? Now that's that might not make total sense to Americans, but that's we have a way better economy and, and more mobility than a lot of European countries. There, there actually is not a lot for young men to do business-wise, and that's what happens when you have a socialistic state. Um, but, um, but still, we hear we hear versions like that all the time here. And why would I bring kids into this world? This world is way better than the world where there wasn't medicine and, and uh, the modern technologies that have improved our life. This is the best the world's been in a long time. If you, it, so your parents brought you in a worse world than this one. You know? um, so that is the attitude towards children. It is the attitude in the West. We see that we're, children are falling out of favor. Um, there's married couples now that get married and they're like, we're not going to have any kids. And it is a anti-biblical uh, view. It doesn't line up with scripture. Um, and we know that be- partially because of this psalm right here. And I'm just going to point out a couple things to you. First, children are from the Lord. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Where do they come from? They come from the Lord. Now, every time I bring this up, someone says, what about those that can't have children? It's like anytime you talk about um, how there's how transgenderism is wrong, there's only male or female. It just pops out of their mouth. Like, what about hermaphrodites? Right. It's like anytime you're talking about Calvinism, someone brings up Servetus. These are like their pat things. And the same thing. Well, what about women that can't have children? Well, if children are withheld, it is God that withholds them. And if they're given, it's God that gives them. And um, consider the story of Jacob, Genesis 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And you might say that's just Jacob saying that. But later we see that God hears Rachel's prayer and grants her children. So he was withholding them for according to his own good purpose. In Genesis 33, then Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. These are, these are God's gifts to me. So in Scripture, God opens and closes the womb. Providentially speaking, when it comes to issues like infertility, um, I had a friend that, uh, that was, they eventually had children, but they had a lot of money, and they spent it on trying to figure out on how to have children. And he said, after all these meetings with doctors, basically what they concluded is that infertility, 40% of the time, is uh, the male's fault, the man's fault. Um, 40% of the time, it's the woman's fault. And 20% of the time, we have no clue. Just no clue why it's not happening. We're not sure. 
I mean, so much of God's creation is still a wonderful mystery to us. Things for us to study and understand. But women do bear the brunt of it. They do. Women often do feel like it's their failure. And you see that in Scripture with Hannah and and Rachel and their attitude uh, towards barrenness. And that's because uh, having a womb, being able to uh, birth children is unique. Uh, it's, it's part of what it means to be female. It's one of the special blessings attached with it. So, so that's the answer to the infertility. We, but we know that children come from God uh, because it's part of the original design. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. I, I go to this verse all the time. It's a creation mandate. I like to bring it out because I think it's, it's paradigm setting. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over everything that moves on the earth. So when God made man male and female, he wanted them to have children and fill the earth with worshipers, with people that would magnify his name. The reason children have intrinsic value is because they bear the image of God. So when we bring more children in the world, we bring more of God's image into the world. And in a pre-fall state, all those children would magnify his name because they would be apart from sin. Now, what about post-fall? Well, post-fall, Genesis 9-7, this is with Noah in the Noahic covenant after the flood, after a lot of bad things have happened. Uh, God says to Noah, as for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So we see that part of the God's general command to mankind is still to fill the world with people. People are good. This whole idea that the world's overpopulated is silly. You can if, if you I it's been a while since I looked this up, but um, this was true about 10 years ago. If everyone stands like this, you can fit them all, I think, in the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. I think that's right. Forget what city it is. Point is, we can fit uh, people on the earth just fine. Every time I hear people say the world is overpopulated, I think you don't get out much. You must just be a liberal that lives in a city. Have you been across the Midwest? You know what's in Kansas? Topeka and Wichita, and they're not very big either. <laughs> I was born in Kansas. But even, uh, I was going out to, to meet a guy the other day, driving through part of Spartanburg County, and oh, there's so much space. I mean, this whole planet can support so many people, and a lot of times they'll, they'll cite things like the number of people that starve, but that's not because we lack food, it's because the food or water is not getting to them, which is a different issue. Uh, so God wants to fill this world with people. And childbearing is good because God spreads his image through childbearing. And uh, nowadays, that's, it's controversial to say that. Uh, when, I, when I bring up that the purpose of ch- sex is creating children, uh, people want to fight me on that. And that's really perplexing to me. Because of biology, science class, cats and kittens, dogs and puppies... You know, people and children. I, I mean, I don't know how, what's, what's so debatable about this. It's clear that one of the chief purposes of, of, of sex is procreation. Yes, recreation, pleasure, connecting, companionship, all that. 
Um, but no doubt that that is part of it. So God, through that, blesses us with children. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That means if your attitude towards children, that's one of the ways we can be countercultural. That's one of the ways that our church is being countercultural. Here's the thing, though. Children freak people out. When you come to a church full of a bunch of kids, it stands out because it's not like anywhere else you go. I hear that when people visit our church and a couple other churches that I'm really close friends with their pastors. They, and they're, some of their church plants are just getting going. So they have like, you know, a 10 families. But each of those families have like four to six kids. So there's 20 adults and, you know, a thousand kids, it feels like, running all around. And it really stands out to people and it weirds them out. Now, there's a reason for that. Is children are a blessing or a curse. Children can be a curse. Was Cain a blessing? How about Judas? Mom telling her friends about Judas' career decisions? Nero? Stalin? There's this idea that children are automatically and permanently a blessing. And that just isn't scriptural. It's not biblical. Proverbs talks about this a lot. Proverbs 15, 20 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. And even more clearly, Proverbs 17, 25. And listen to this one. Young people listen to this one. Especially if you're in my home. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. How many times have we talked to people who are broken over their children? Broken, devastated over the state of their grown children. Proverbs thirty eleven. There's a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. That's a terrible type of man. Children can become a curse if they aren't disciplined. And part of the problem is when we hear children, we think, you know, cute little babies. We only think of the, uh, the multiply part as opposed to be fruitful and multiply, right? Quantity and quality. We want um, a certain type of child. Uh, Malachi 2.15. This is well, one of the purposes of marriage is to have children. But... Uh, in particular, uh, godly children. Malachi 2.15 says God seeks a godly offspring. So that's a key verse. It's kind of a weird verse if you look at it. You have to read a couple paragraphs around it to get the, the context. Uh, but having children, just lots of children, in of itself, it's only a um, qualified good. You, they have to be godly children, not wicked Doug Wilson had some stuff to say on this that I I thought was quite helpful. Um, The passage from Psalm 127 noted above is frequently cited by Christians as they talk about the blessings of family. This is good, but we must notice what the real blessing is. The psalm is not talking about the patter of little feet around the house, although, of course, that is nice. The psalm says that sons are like arrows to a man when he contends with his enemies in the gate. The blessing being referred to here 
is the blessing of grown sons, well brought up and prepared for battle. This is the result of a man spending himself for several decades on his children. If a man has a large number of sons he ha- and he has not reared them properly, he has a quiver full all right, but it is a quiver full of grief, crooked and broken arrows. It is real easy to, um, to say you're going to build a tower and not count the cost. To say you're going to go to war and not count the cost. And yet in both those instances, Jesus urges them, think about this before you follow me. Following me will cost you something. And why we should seek children. I have, I've had seven. I love kids. Um, I love them because God tells me to love them. He made me to love them. They're, they're wonderful. They're, they're a big cause of stress like you all know. But um, So I'm not anti-child, but count the cost. I have a friend that um, was really principled on all forms of birth control. Um, he was taking a bold stand, him and his 23-year-old wife and their one child. It's pretty easy to take bold stands when you have one kid. Now, when you start to have four or five kids and you watch them age and you realize how, um, how it's not just educating but, but discipling them. You know, it's, I'm not talking about providing for kids. You're an American. It's easy. It's easy to provide for kids. You think it's hard. That's because you don't know what hard is. This is easy, globally speaking, historically speaking. Providing for kids in this country, we live in a socialist country. People will give you stuff to take care of your kids. That's not what I'm concerned about. It's the weight of discipleship, of raising your kids up to fear the Lord. And so a lot of people have all these kids, but they don't, they're, they're not committed to the whole work. It's like building a house without a foundation and not putting the wiring in right and saying, oh, look, aren't houses great? And then the winds come and they fall all apart. Wilson says, the Lord offers to bless us with much in our children and to whom much is given much is required. Children are great. They take your eyes off yourself. Um, someone said you shouldn't have children because they ruin all your plans. Well, all your plans are stupid. It's good they ruin your plans. Children are a great source of sanctification. They teach us about the nature of the Father's love for the Son. They uh, teach us how, how to work hard and provide. Because they depend on us fully. Uh, There's so much that they teach us. They're a huge blessing. But as we have more children, we have to take it very serious. um, And and give ourselves to this work that we're in right now. Um, Here's the thing that Emily and I have been thinking about a lot lately. Is that we're approaching the hump. You know, like we've been revving up in kids. But at some point, this is going to start going, we're going to stop having kids. And I remember every time she gets pregnant, I'm like, oh, another one. <laughs> okay, we can do this. Um, but then the thought of not having any more kids hit, hits me. And then I think of what I hear older people say, how weird it is to be in a quiet house. My house is quiet. 
that means something's on fire somewhere, right? <laughs> I want to hear noise in my house. <laughs> if I don't hear noise, I'm concerned. <laughs> but there's going to be a huge chunk of my life that I don't hear noise anymore because they're going to be gone. They're going to be out of my house. And that reminds me, and I would exhort you to think the same way. Give yourself to the work now. Be exhausted now. Give yourself to it. 18 years, right? 19 years of one-on-one hard discipleship. And even towards the end of that, you you start having them leave the nest because you want them to be able to, to be independent. It goes by really quick. It goes by so quick. I was telling a friend that I make plans sometimes like, yeah, I think I can do that in the spring. You know, as you get older, it's like, uh, yeah, I can get to that about four months. And then it's four months passes by so quick. So it's going to pass by quick, which is why child rearing requires a long view. You know, uh, as, as Wilson pointed out, that this is about grown children, that whole um, blessed is, uh, uh, let's see, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. It, it reminds me of, uh, of a part of Proverbs 31. It's very similar. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also. He praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And then it talks about her being praised in the gates. And so we have to have the long view for raising children. But when you have little children... One thing that men need to think about, because most of us, as I look out here, I think all of us are away from the home long hours because we have to, to provide for the home, which means that women bear the bulk of the cost of childbearing in the sense of immediate one-on-one with the children. Um, They can get discouraged and they can get exhausted uh, big time. I mean, women, you, unless it's just the women I know, but I don't think so. So husbands, here's three ways I want to exhort you to think about how you can help your wife right now. Uh, first, you can help in two ways, by helping with the kids and also through refraining from acting like an extra kid yourself. So um, when I get home from work, it's not like this as much as it was when I worked in sales. But in sales, all I do is talk to people. You've got to be friendly, engaging. That's how you get sales. And so for eight, eight, eight to nine hours a day, is chatter, 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 selling phones. That's all I do every day was sell phones. So when I got home and Emily said, what did you do today? Well, I did the same thing I do every day. I sold phones. Now, I also talk to people for eight hours. And I don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to talk about my day. Um, I want to go somewhere and kind of decompress. Now, what has she done all day? She's talked to people, but she's talked to people like, um, like I remember Athen once asked us, can cougars eat hummingbirds? <laughs> I suppose they could. Um, that's the sort of conversation that she's having. She's not having an adult conversation. So she's looking to engage with someone and, and ask me about my day, so probably I'll ask her about her day. Um, and we're going two different directions. And then also, a lot of times, um, my kids have disobeyed, and they need the correction of a man, and I want to go away. I used to have that attitude. But now when I get home, what I do is I sit in the car for a minute or two, 
kind of pray and set myself. And when I walk through that door, I walk through that door to act like a man on a battlefield. Is there someone that needs to be spanked? I'm here to spank them, right? Do I need, I need to talk to her? Do I need to look in her eyes and listen to her? You know, so I, I come and help with the children in that way. Get on top of it right away. And it's hard because you're tired. She's tired too. Be tired together. Help each other. But also don't be a child yourself. Um, as a man, you want to master your environment, don't you? That includes socks. I have a habit of leaving my socks where I should not. And Emily brings it up. So one day, I put a sock on the fan blade. <laughs> Just laid it up there and waited for her to see it. I'm sorry. I'll put them away. Right? Master your environment. Right? If you can master things at work, you certainly can master where your socks go. Right? You're a man. You need a woman not to, to be your mother, but be your wife. How can you up your game? Encourage her. She is raising up your legacy. Second, you should recognize that kids are placing uh, demands on your wife's body all day long. They want a nurse. They want to be carried. They want to be held. Touch, touch, touch. Women are always being touched. Men come home. They would like to touch a woman. Um, and, uh, but she's oversensitized. And, um, and so you have to be sensitive uh, to that. You need to help her uh, get out of the house from time to time and encourage it. Uh, you need to uh, have non-romantic encounters with your wife. Where, and just, just surrender yourself to the fact that there's no punchline to the story and that it's going to branch off a bunch of different directions. And just listen. Because you fought hard to win this woman and now you have her. So listen. You love her. It doesn't matter if it has a point. Right? She loves you. She's sharing her life with you. Just listen. That'll go a long way and get her away from the kids for a little bit. Give her uh, a breather. Third, you have to teach your wife to look for the long-term blessings, both in this life and the next. I find um, that women, but mothers in general, are very focused on the day-to-day, week-to-week, this school year. And um, it's hard for them to think, 20 years down the road. They're not thinking about that a lot. It's not, it's not the pressing need. You know, the pressing need is figuring out the curriculum or where they're going to go to school or how they're going to deal with this problem. It's just they're dealing with the more immediate. And when you're dealing with um, immediate challenges, it's really easy to get discouraged. So just think in terms of saving money or losing weight. Right? From the day to day, you don't see a lot of gains. You see the gains over the long haul. And so if you're just focusing on the media, it's very easy to get discouraged and then not and to give up. I mean, that's why people don't lose weight and that's why people don't have savings is because they don't see the gains and they become discouraged and fall back in the old habits. And uh, so uh, someone that's in the midst of, of raising children needs someone to remind them of, of the blessings that's going to come from the work they're putting in right now. And for a man, that's you basically casting vision. 
you get to cast vision for a family. That's the sense in which we're all pastors. That's the sense in which we're all shepherds leading a family to some goal. And, uh, and you get the reminder, and don't, and don't do it condescendingly, but obviously say, hey, what you're doing right now, you know, we're going to see the benefits. Some, not all our kids learn at the same speeds. So um, there's some kids that we didn't see react right away, and it was discouraging. But a year into it, we're really starting to see some gains. And uh, so you want to encourage them about that, but also just the blessings in the next life. I mean, people come from you. How many people came from Adam? All of them. How many people came from Peter? A whole lot. Who knows? When I, when I read about Jonathan Edwards and the people that descended from him, I mean, uh, the people that came from Edwards shaped America. There's a, a bunch of different university uh, presidents. I think a president did come from Edwards, but I don't remember who. Uh, Burr. Burr. That's right. <laughs> Aaron Burr, that's correct. So you can, you can shape the whole world. Um, I think a lot of people are told, a lot of women think, a lot of people, women or men on this, think that their career will, they can change the whole world through their career. They think they're going to be Steve Jobs or something. You know, and even no one's going to care about Steve Jobs, you know, 10 years from now. Um, but, uh, I mean, you really can shape the world through children. Especially right now, if we have a country that full of non-Christians that aren't having kids. So we have kids and we disciple them. They're the future citizens of America. Talk about salt and light. We could reshape a whole country. Um, you know, 1.9 is the number of kids that, that people are having. 1.9. Right? I'm three couples. Me and my wife. So a lot of you here are two couples. It's a lot of influence. And mothers, you are shaping nations. Nations for the gospel, if you raise up disciples. You want to encourage your wife in that. Wives, a couple things I'd just say is um, it is a father's job to protect his sons from their mother. Mothers tend to coddle boys. There are very few boys in this world that have been treated too severely, at least in this culture. We tend to coddle them. Uh, they need men that, uh, that come down on them hard. Scripture says, don't, you know, don't withhold the rod. If you beat them, they won't die. I love how it says that. Because, oh, you're going to hurt them forever. Um, no, you're not. Uh, support, your, support your man in his discipline of your children. It's hard. No one wants to discipline their children. We just, I want them just to change somehow. And me not do anything. But discipline is, uh, is always painful. And then down the road uh, leads to the fruitful righteousness. Or the, the, what is it? Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Down the road. And so part of a jo- uh, the job of a father is to cause pain. That's what we do. Discipline is pain. We bring pain into our children's life for a purpose. For their own good, their spiritual good. So don't don't punish a man for being faithful. If he's if he's truly too severe, 
Um, after it's done, you know, we're assuming not abu- like true abuse here, but just too severe, say something behind closed doors. But uh, encourage a man to go after it. And um, I think that's the biggest need I see. There is just so much to what we're doing as parents. We need to be in the word, studying everything scripture has to say on being parents. And it has so much. Proverbs is just, I've said this the last couple times I've taught. I've just been living in Proverbs. It is so helpful. I love it. It just tells me how to think and what to do without very little mystery. It's just so straightforward, and that's helpful for some of us. Be, be um, meditating on that and pray for each other. Now, some of you guys don't have children in the home anymore. And uh, don't withhold your wisdom. Don't withhold your help and encouragement. Uh, one thing I pray for and hope is for this church to be full of older people. So we can, especially, I have no clue how to relate to a 25-year-old son. I have no idea what that's going to be like. And it would be nice to have someone to help me understand the dynamics there. Don't hold back, older folks. Be a blessing. Children are a blessing if we give ourselves to the work of discipling them and trust in the spirit to work in their heart. You can't convert them. Um... But God does honor that means. So give yourself to it. And, and let's be a church that produces nice, straight, sharp arrows. Not broken and bent, worthless arrows. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of children. Thank you for uh, the privilege it is to magnify your image in this world. Lord, I pray that... You would encourage the fathers and mothers here, especially those in the middle of child rearing right now, that they uh, would give themselves to this good and godly, honorable work, that they wouldn't resent it, that they would have the vision that your word offers so we can see the fruit that will come from our labors. I pray that husbands could encourage wives and wives could encourage husbands in their, their roles as father and mother. Father, we ask that our church especially would um, not settle for dead formalism, for just uh, style over substance, Lord, that we would actually call our children to faith, that they would believe you, believe in you, trust in you, love you, run from sin, and that you would raise them up to be mighty men and women of God. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 399.